Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Eh, it's pretty good. Um, I am the youth pastor. I'm Nick. I'm so glad I get to speak to you guys today. Um, I am, I don't know, I'm tired. I, we, we're up here this morning uh, getting live on the lawn set up out there. I'm, I'm leading the youth band as we sing songs to you guys today. So my head is in like several different places, but I'm going to give you at least like 80% this morning. I, I promise. Uh, so I have been given this, this subject, and I'm trying not to take it personally, of talking about how I am not my worst moment. I, th- I guess Charlie decided he needed to get somebody with some really terrible moments to really speak to this issue. Uh, I, I guess that's me. I don't know why. I'm such a good person. Um, so I want to start. I want to start this with some embarrassing confessions. I cry a lot. Uh, specifically in stories, I cry a lot at really good stories. Um, and so I'm going to tell you what some of those stories are. And because, as many of you know, I, I signed a contract with Tolkien about 50 years ago to promise every time I preached I would use Lord of the Rings. So I'm going to mention it right off the top. That story always makes me cry. All right, I talked about it. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Uh, another one that always gets me is Where the Red Fern Grows. I don't know if you guys have read this book. But it's about, I'm not even going to tell you because some of you might just burst into tears right now, but it's sad. It's about a dog, and dogs aren't immortal. So eventually, there's a sad part coming, and it gets me. In fact, I think it's in my blood because my daughter recently read it, my my 12-year-old daughter recently read it, and she was in the car when she read it, and she got to that point that just rips your heart apart, and she threw the book in the car, (laughs) like just tossed it across the seats and got both upset and sad all at the same time. It's a, it's a hard story, but it's so good. It gets me every time. Uh, here's one that's the exact opposite of that, and, and I'll explain it because it's not going to make a lot of sense. The Karate Kid, the original one, um, it's not sad. It's happy. It's happy tears. When he, kicks the, when he kicks Johnny in the face, I it gets me. It's like he's worked so hard for this moment, and he's finally going to win and get his, his, his strength back, and he kicks him in the face, and I cry. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not. Maybe a little bit. Uh, this one I am a little ashamed of. Um, there's a Dixie Chick song called Traveling Soldier. All right, yeah, that one's embarrassing. Um, it's, it's so dumb. It's about this little, this young girl that meets this guy who's going off to war, and he writes her letters, and then he dies. And gets me. I'm kidding. <clears throat> I'm a man. Um, I like trucks. Um, trucks make me cry. A really bad golf shot gets me because I'm a man. Um, speaking of being a man, the most recent one added to the list, and this is where I'll stop, is Moana. Uh, maybe you aren't familiar with this. <clears throat> I will give you a brief rundown of the plot. There's this magical island 
who has this little heart and a big strong guy steals it to show that he's cool and it wrecks everything. And then this little girl from an island has to go and rescue this island and save her by putting her heart back. But there's this big lava monster that's in the way. And in the end, we as the audience discover along with Moana that the island that was the, had the heart stolen out is actually the big lava monster that's now turned into this angry beast. And she recognizes that she has to get this mean, crazy lava island to remember who she is. And there's this line in this last song where she's like, um, you, we've, you've stolen the heart that's inside you, but this does not define you. And that, that's one of those moments in stories that prompted me to want to be an English teacher. I was an English teacher for a couple of years, and the thing I loved most about being an English teacher, and especially because I was in a Christian school, is I got to show people things like when Shakespeare accidentally showed us the gospel, or when Hemingway accidentally proved that we are all wired to require a savior. And it's in this moment I see this story and it gets me every time because that line when she says, this thing that you think has broken you does not define you, it's this beautiful illustration of the gospel where God looks down at us and says to us, yeah, you're broken, you're messed up, this is all falling apart, but this does not define you. And so when we're talking today about I am not my worst moment, I can't help but think about that phrase over and over again. This, that this, these worst moments, these, the, our sin, our struggles, our failures, they don't define us despite the fact that we constantly let them. And not only do we let them define us, but we let them define others. And so today we're going to kind of unpack this idea that our true identity is not given to us by the created, but by the creator. In John three seventeen, God says, Uh, John says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, God knows that we're broken and sinful, and he did not come down and say, look what you people have done. Now I got to fix all this. He comes down, he humbles himself, and he saves us rather than condemning us, which is what we deserved. And you see, we are prone to mark people by their failures. We're prone to mark people by their mistakes, by their worst moments. So here's what I'm going to do, in case you don't believe me. I'm going to list out some names. And if you recognize this name, it won't be because they did good things. It won't be because they were just a regular person. You're going to recognize these people by the terrible moments in their lives. You're going to recognize them by their worst moments. So let's just get an easy one right off the bat. Charles Manson. John Wilkes Booth. Benedict Arnold, Bonnie and Clyde, Lee Harvey Oswald, Jimmy Swaggerts. You may not know all those names, but the names that you do know, you know them for some very specific things. And I'm not even going to bother mentioning because if you know their names, that's why they're famous. Because they've been marked by their worst moments. We look at these people, what they've done, and we say, or maybe we think to ourselves, they're evil. They're the worst sort of people. I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like them. Here's the problem with that philosophy, though. That's just not how God sees them, even them. It's not how he sees us. It's not even how he sees them. He sees them for who they truly are. 
Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Each and every one of us, the, from the most deplorable to the, to me, obviously, I'm so good. Um, please know that I'm kidding, my Lord. Um, all of us, God has created us and sees each and every one of us, his own image reflected back. We are made to look like him. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, he says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. And that's why when God called Moses in Exodus 3 to save the Israelites, Moses' response is probably very similar to how we would respond. He says, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses is saying, I'm nobody. I'm a shepherd who works for my father-in-law. That's my greatest achievement in life. I left behind fame and, and power and all these things, and I came out here, and now I'm nobody. Why would you send me back? And God does something very interesting here. He, he doesn't do what we would do. What we would do is say, no, Moses, you're good. You're strong. You're capable. You can do this, buddy. I believe in you. That's how we would sort of encourage someone who says, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, you can. You're good. You're strong. You're smart enough. God doesn't bother with any of that. He cuts right through it. And he says, I know. But I will be with you. He doesn't puff him up and make him feel like a great person that he's capable. In fact, he does the opposite and just says, you're right, but I'll be with you. And this is something that I think we forget that continues to define us is that we are not good or evil people because of who we truly are at our inward being. We are who we are and God is with us, making us better. I'm going to come back to that. God looks at us and sees his creation, his beloved, his children. However, in Romans 3.23, he also says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody, whether they are famous, murderers, adulterers, betrayers, thieves, bullies, or you and me, nobody is any closer to holiness than anyone else. We all fall short of the glory of God. And yet we are all loved by God. We are all worthy of punishment, of condemnation, but this does not define you. And that's one of the very special things about the gospel. And in John 21, this is sort of the main part of our text today. In John 21, we have Peter and Jesus become friends again, right? Peter and the boys are out, night, out at night fishing, right? They're out in a boat, they're fishing all night, and it's just not going so well. And I don't know if any of you can relate to this problem, but it's awful. I love to go fishing. I also hate to go fishing. It's this strange brokenness within me that I am so desperate to do it, and then two hours in, I'm so angry that I want to go out and preach to the world that there are actually no fish in the ocean. They don't exist. It's propaganda. I have many times been on the shore, fishing on the shore. The shore fishing in Florida is my least favorite and favorite because when it happens, it happens. And I want to scream and, and cry and I'm so excited. And when it doesn't, I want to scream and I want to cry and I'm so angry. Like the whole concept of not catching anything when you fish makes me 
crazy. So I understand Peter and the boys are frustrated. They've been out all night trying to catch fish. Verse 4 to 6, it says this in John 21. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was him. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. I like to add a little emphasis to that because I don't think they just said no. I think they were like, no. (laughs) He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, if this was, if we were watching this in some sort of movie or TV version, this is where the flashback would happen to Luke 5, where Jesus did this before. This isn't the first time Jesus has pulled this trick, right? The very first time he met Peter and these guys. They were out fishing. Jesus shows up and says, caught any fish? No, throw it on the other side. That's ridiculous. Don't, we're not going to do that. Just try it. Okay, pull in too many fish. So in this moment, they had not yet recognized Jesus. But when he does this, Peter and John, it clicks and they're like, wait, that's, that's him. John does the sensible thing, which is help haul the fish in and start rowing the boat back. Peter hurls himself into the sea and starts swimming towards Jesus. He's got about 100 yards to get to Jesus. This is, of course, vintage Peter just sort of acting without thinking. And as I'm reading it, I think of one or a number of things. One, maybe Peter just didn't want to help bring the fish in, so he just sort of jumps in. He's like, I, you guys got it, and I'll go meet Jesus. And then I think like, While he's swimming this hundred yards, what is going through his head? You know, really, Peter and Jesus hadn't really had a chance to talk since the incident. Um, And I wonder if while Peter is swimming in this this sea, if he's thinking to himself, wait, what is Jesus going to say to me? Is he going to be mad at me? Is he going to yell at me? Because he could. He has every right to. Why did I jump into the water? I should have waited. It's too late now. He's, he's in it. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Come and have breakfast. Now I got to tell you, if heaven is going night fishing and then finishing that up with a some breakfast over a fire made by Jesus and we get to hang out, that works for me. I'll, I, I'll sign up on that every day. That's cool. And here it is. There's, there's Jesus and just a few of the guys. Peter's there. And it's time for breakfast. And here comes Jesus' response to Peter. Because you see, if you don't know this, a few days before this beautiful morning, Jesus was crucified. And that night, Peter was asked three times if he was with Jesus or even knew him, and Peter denied him each time, right? Not only did he do that, but he did it even after Jesus told him, hey, you're going to do this, and Peter promised him that he wouldn't. He did it anyway. Peter screwed up. Peter acted out of fear. He denied knowing the man he believed to be the Messiah. He denied knowing one of his best friends. He screwed up, and he knew He screwed up. You know, recently my son and his friends destroyed the carpet in his room. Yeah. Uh, In fact, it was Mother's Day. 
It was Mother's Day. We had a lovely morning. We made breakfast for my wife. We went in and we snuggled and we talked and we made a little Happy Mother's Day video. And we watched it and it was so sweet and so nice. And then I left. And uh, Rachel went in to go help Cash, my youngest son, pick out some clothes. She opens the door. She turns on the light. And somehow my son had managed to get little camo paint sticks rubbed all over the carpet. This wonderful oil paint that is now there forever, probably. And this was the phase two of Mother's Day for Rachel, where now it became less about how sweet and wonderful it was and how furious she was. And she informed me, and I became furious. And it was frustrating. And we had lots of conversations with our son, some of them at a very loud volume. And we enacted punishments, and we set new rules in place. He screwed up. He knew it. We dealt with it the way we dealt with it. And honestly, I imagine we probably dealt with it similar to how most of you would deal with your son destroying his carpet. Jesus has a different strategy here. When they had finished breakfast in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus runs through this three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus doesn't bring it up. Jesus doesn't say, like I would. I imagine if I were in this scenario and it was Peter and it was me, it'd be like, Peter, look, we need to talk. I'm upset with you and you know why. You know what you did and I don't even want to mention it because it's very upsetting. But I'm going to do it anyway. Peter, you denied me three times. That's not cool. I'm up there being tortured and dying for the sins of the world, and you can't even be bothered to say, yeah, I know him? Peter, what? That's not okay, man. We're going to have to talk about the consequences of this behavior. We're going to have to talk about what kind of rules and, and accountability we need to set up for you in the future. That's, that's how I would deal with it. Jesus doesn't even bring it up. Now, he, he hints at it by making Peter repeat three times that he loves him to sort of counteract the three denials, I guess, but he doesn't bring it up. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I, was in, I was living in Italy at the time when I was in middle school, and my, my friend at the church, his name was also Nick, his dad was the pastor. And uh, so that meant that sometimes Nick and I could kind of sneak out during service because his dad was occupied and my dad was usually involved in the service as well and we, could, we usually sat by ourselves. So sometimes we wouldn't be there. Sometimes we would leave Sunday school and go down to this little cafe that was right by the, the church and have a cappuccino or a soda and just hang out, relax, and then sneak in at the end or just meet people where they were talking in the back. Sometimes we did that. I don't even know if I regret it because it was fun. It was awesome. Yeah, I don't regret it. And so one day... Nick and I are walking back, and it's literally like a 30-second walk from the, the cafe to the church. And uh, there's this older woman outside, and she sees us, and she's got her finger, finger waggling. She's ready, and she pulls aside and says, Nick and Nick, what have you done? You are going to embarrass your father. This is not acceptable. And we're like, ah, oh, crap, we're caught. So she holds us there until his dad comes out, and she's like, Pastor, come over here, please. And he's like, all right. Um, and so he comes over, and here we are. We're caught red-handed. We skipped church. We did. We skipped it. 
And this woman says, now you should know, pastor, I've seen these two boys. They were not in church today. They were off doing God knows what. And Nick was like, we were at the cafe. He's like, she's like, no, don't talk. And you really need to make sure that you are keeping an eye on these boys. They should not be permitted to miss church, especially with you as the pastor, sir. That is not okay. And we're both sitting there sort of quaking, wondering what sort of fresh hell is going to be unleashed on us for this terrible transgression. And pastor looks at the woman and he says, thank you for telling me about this. Um, I'll take it from here. And she says, okay. She leaves. And it just so happened that that day I was going over to his house after church. And so we get in the car and we're driving and it's very quiet. You all know this quiet. The quiet before the storm, waiting for us to be yelled at, waiting for the punishment to come down. And even though I wasn't this guy's kid, I was his, in his church, and my parents had multiple times told him, if my son ever acts up, you can do whatever you want. So I knew this dude had full authority to do whatever he wanted to do. So we're sort of freaked out, scared. We're in the car. And after about five minutes, he looks in the rearview mirror, and he just looks at his son specifically. And he says, son, did you have a good time? And he said, yes. And he didn't look at me. And he let another 30 seconds go by, and he says, that's good. I'm glad. I love you, son. And that was it. It never got brought up. I don't even think he told my parents. He just let it go. And I don't know why, but we never did it again. I don't understand why we didn't. I mean, we never even talked about it. We never even discussed, hey, should we go back? We just, for some reason, in that moment, knew that we were done doing that. And I love this story. I love the story of Peter and Jesus. I love the story of this, this pastor, a friend of mine, because he wouldn't let us, just like Jesus wouldn't let Peter, wouldn't let us be defined by a bad moment. Because he knew for some reason, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit working through him, but he knew that we knew that we shouldn't have done that. He knew that we were aware that we were doing something dumb and it wasn't, being, it wasn't helpful, it was embarrassing, it was a wrong decision, just like Peter knew. Peter knew. He did not need to be told again what you did was wrong. He was aware. And I was aware. And when I was given that opportunity to not be defined by my worst moment, something clicked in me in that moment. And it's the same here with Peter where Jesus is saying to Peter, I don't want to talk about it. I love you. Now go love people like this. When he says those things, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, he's telling Peter, take this that I'm doing for you and give it to others. Because you see, the, the religious way of things in those days was to define everybody by their worst moments. That's how we did things. That's how the church acted. You screwed up. We brought you in front of everybody. We pointed it out. We made you confess it. We marked you. We said, you've done this and you've got to atone for it. There are stories throughout literature of this. One of my favorites is the Scarlet Letter. This woman, she has a baby without a father. She's marked literally with a letter that says, you are an adulterer. She's marked for her sin. And it lasts her whole life. We are prone to do this. And Jesus as he often does, flips that around and says, we're not going to do that anymore. 
We're not going to define people by their worst moments. One of my favorite stories about this is the, the woman caught in adultery where they bring her out. They said, we caught her. She's done it. It's happening. What are you going to do? And Jesus just sort of shuts it down. And he says, first person who has no sin throws the rock. Everybody leaves. Jesus was tired of people being marked by their worst moments. And so he shuts it down. He ends the cycle and says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. What if we are the only people in society that do not define people by their worst moments? What if we take this example from Jesus and we say, I'm, I'm going to try and do that too. I'm going to look at the people in this world who are broken, who are filled with worst moments. And I'm going to try and see them as God sees them. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. I'm going to look to find who they really are instead of allowing worst moments to define them. See, part of the problem with this is we, that's how we treat ourselves. We also define ourselves by our worst moments. You see, right now in this room, there are people who have cheated on their taxes, who've stolen, defrauded investors. There are people in this room with addictions, destructive habits that they can't seem or honestly maybe even don't want to shake. There are people in this room who have made life-altering choices that they can't take back. There are men and women in this room who have had affairs, who have willingly deceived those that they love most, who have betrayed the ones they thought they would be willing to die for. But this does not define you. You are not those moments. I am not my worst moment. And it is not because I'm actually really strong and I'm really smart and I'm really good. It is not because of any of that. It is because God is with me. We are not our worst moments because God will not let us be. He shut that cycle down a long time ago. There is a lie that you believe about yourself. Maybe you think you're too weak, you're not smart enough, you're not strong enough, you're not good-looking enough, you're overweight. Whatever it is you think that is, is who you really are, whatever it is you think actually defines you or you think people use to define you, God disagrees with you. God does not agree that you are, in fact, whatever it is you believe holds you back. He knows that you are made in his image he knows that you are, in fact, his beloved, his children, his most precious creation. And he will not allow you to be defined by your worst moment. You guys, if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you believe that he came to this earth and he died and was resurrected and you believe that he was laid down his life for you, then you have to believe with that that you are who God says you are that you are beloved, you are precious, you are made in his image, you are beautiful, you are saved, you are made new, you are clean, you are righteous. You are not your worst moments. No matter how worst they are, 
no matter how far off the good spectrum you think they are, you are no more or less holy than anyone. The reason that you are made new, the reason that you are made clean and righteous is because God is with you. Do not define yourself by your worst moment. Do not define others by their worst moment. Feed his lambs. Tend his sheep. Take the love that God has given you and give it out to the world around you. No matter who you are, no matter who they are. This does not define you. God, I thank you for your grace, for your incredible mercy. God, that you would look at us broken as we are and love us. God, I thank you that the very laying of the foundation of the earth, you made us in your own image so that we could never say that we were a mistake. God, no matter what it is that is tormenting the hearts and minds of us in this room, whatever our worst moments are, Father, help us to erase them, to step over them and move forward in the business of loving your people, of feeding your lambs and tending your sheep. Let us not be held back by this weight anymore. God, free us from this as you have already done on the cross. Help us to be defined by the creator not the created. I love you. It's in your name we pray these things.